Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance. Of things... And ideas. You have just crossed over into Patented, a podcast all about the history of inventions from History Hit. I'm your host, Dallas Campbell. Today's show is about what went on in a thousand darkened rooms across America in the second half of the 19th century and beyond, with knockings, rappings, things flying about, tables turning upside down, walls bleeding ectoplasm flowing from people's mouths, strange communication devices appearing, spirit trumpets, batteries that could communicate with the dead, all probing the veil between this world and the next. What Morse code did for the telegraph, the Ouija board did for chatting to dead people. But there were many, many things that looked a little bit like the Ouija board that came before. And it's one of those inventions when you ask who invented the Ouija board, the answer kind of explodes in your face. My guest today is taking us on a wild ghost train ride through the history of the Ouija board. It's the truly wonderful Brandon Hodge, a man with a vast collection of talking boards, spirit trumpets. Wow, what a collection. And all the rest of it. And he's currently working on what will be the book all about their history. Enjoy. The Ouija board. It seems like an ancient device. Its origins lost in the midst of time, but it is, in fact, a thoroughly American object with a story that mixes spiritualism, or the history of spiritualism, and materialism in equal parts. And here to talk all about it is Brandon Hodge. Brandon, how are you doing? Hey there, Dallas. Thanks for having me. This is the fifth time we've tried to do this. And every time we've tried to do this interview, something weird has happened. It's almost like these objects have some sort of bad reputation. We're going to come straight on to the bad reputation. Before we do, 
just explain what a Ouija board is. I mean, anyone listening to this knows what a Ouija board is, I'm sure, but just in case. So a Ouija board, or generically a talking board, is typically a flat board printed with the alphabet, yes and no, numerals, perhaps a few phrases, for communicating with the spirits, or in some cases, psychic entities, or even one's own subconscious. It is used with an item, an indicator known as a planchette, which itself has a longer, deeper history, which is a small heart-shaped board, sometimes with a little window cut into it, that the users place their hands lightly upon. And after a few minutes, the planchette will begin to move mysteriously in a way that the participants do not feel that they are contributing to, and it will point out messages, spell out words, sentences, and phrases on the board to communicate with the dead. Perfect. We should point out at this point, just before we go on, science is very clear about how the Ouija board works. It certainly is. Without wanting to spoil the fun, we understand, even if you don't think you're moving the planchette or the glass, whatever it is you're moving, micro movements will make it move. Unconscious muscular movements, which science gives the term ideomotor response, something they knew about for 40 years before the Ouija came about. Damn science, spoiling all the fun. Now, I first became aware of Ouija boards when I was watching The Exorcist, aged 10, which is probably the wrong time to watch The Exorcist. It terrified me. Anyway, there's a scene in The Exorcist where Reagan is in the basement of a house and she's playing with a Ouija board, a talking board, and she's talking to a spirit called Captain Howdy. And the planchette, the little pointer, jumps across the board and everyone freaks out. First of all, why is it that everyone always says, you must never, oh, don't play with the Ouija board? Why does it have such a bad reputation? It's like when I die, I'm not going to suddenly turn into an idiot and start doing terrible things. Why can't ghosts just be normal and sit and have a normal chat without dire things happening? And like, oh, you're going to get possessed by a demon or the walls are going to start bleeding or books will start flapping about. I'm not going to do that when I'm alive. At what point when I'm dead do I just turn into a jackass? I think it's really exacerbated and amplified by modern media. I mean, that's where the drama is, right? It's in these demonic entities, and that's really where the meat and the drama is. The practice of spiritualism hasn't changed. And if you go to some of the spiritualist centers in the UK or in the US, you can talk to friendly ghosts there without the worry of possession. I don't even want a friendly ghost. I just want a normal ghost. I don't believe in ghosts, obviously. (laughs) But if I did believe in ghosts, why do ghosts only appear to certain people and they always appear at night? Why does everything become odd? Well, I think many believers would attest that that's when the boundary, the veil between worlds is at its weakest. When we are in a state of half consciousness after the sun has set the witching hour. Certainly when we are in the right frame of mind to see beyond the veil of worlds, I think, is how a true believer might answer that question. I'm just in the wrong frame of mind, I think. Okay, let's start with the history. The word Ouija, where does the word Ouija come from? Because it's such an odd word. I always thought it was, we is yes in French and ya is German for yes, we, ya. Is that true or is that nonsense? It is not. Literally, we can track the exact moment in the newspapers where someone just said that. Some reporter was like, well, of course, That's it. And that has been repeated. I mean, right up to the modern era, we'll repeat that falsehood, another similar falsehood. Of course, the Victorians didn't want to give anyone credit for any original idea. So they would say, oh, the Ouija board has been around since like 500 BC, the time of Pythagoras. And they would conflate these ancient accounts of different things and try to attribute them falsely to Ouija. The name Ouija 
comes from the board itself. And I think that evocative set of syllables, those vowels that roll off the tongue, are largely a huge attribute to its success. Okay, so when we talk about Ouija, that is a patented brand. It is. It is a trademark. As a game. Yes. But based on something in history, which was this idea of the talking board. Correct. And the creators of that company that was formed to create and manufacture and market that board asked the board itself. They had kind of a working title for it. They were in Baltimore, the home of the Ouija's manufacturing core, and they aren't really satisfied with the name and they strike upon the idea of asking the board itself what it would like to be called. And they are in the home of Elijah Bond, who would be the patentee of the board. And they ask his sister-in-law, who they considered a strong medium, to ask the board what it would like to be called. And it's spelled out O-U-I-J-A. They asked what that meant and it said, good luck. And they would later market this item as the Egyptian good luck board. What happens if it spelt something really rude? Yeah, right? It spelled out that evocative set of consonant and vowels that just rolls off the tongue. And I've always said that I think that mysterious name, they just could not have picked anything better. Let me just go back. You mentioned a name. Elijah Bond. Is he the guy that kind of said, oh, I've got a great idea. We've got a name and we're going to market this as a game. So he is not. So we can go back to the kernel of that idea. Elijah Bond, that man, will patent the Ouija in 1890. And it will have its first big explosion in the early 1890s as a popular game item. But the history of that goes back four years previously with a man named Charles Kennard in Chestertown, Maryland, who claims that he strikes upon an original idea inspired by the planchette use of his youth. Now, planchettes are these precursor writing devices that are similar to the Ouija board's indicator and have a whole history of their own. His account was he was sitting at his kitchen table with a breadboard and an upturned saucer or teacup, and he was pushing it around the board, imagining how much easier it would be to spell out letters on a board than writing them out with an automatic writing planchette, which had been popular in his youth, and that he had a local cabinet maker and coffin maker named E.C. Reich manufacture a small number of these boards, and people are always buying his boards, and he sold some. And four years later, he conceives of the idea of taking what he thought of as a marketable product into Baltimore. He's kind of laughed at, and he does meet up with a man named Elijah J. Bond, who would become the patentee of the device. He would clean up the design, have these drawings produced, and they would take this idea to Washington, D.C. and to the patent office. What did he actually patent? Because if these things existed, and we'll come on to the history of them in a bit, but if they already existed, what was the thing that he patented, if you like. It's a recognizable Ouija board, a talking board. It's a flat board, letters and numbers on it. There's some illustrations, the moon's up in the corner. I mean, a recognizable form of the board with a slightly different planchette. The early planchettes diverge from the design of earlier automatic writing planchettes that almost look like a ping pong paddle with this blunt handle. They've got a little nodule on the front of them. They're round with a little bump on the front, sort of like a ping pong paddle on these tall legs. The pairing of this indicator device with the alphabet board, the answer board, was the patentable idea and the fact that it would move mysteriously. And they originally had trouble patenting it because the patent office was very reluctant to patent any devices that attributed themselves to spiritualist movements and belief, which is largely why it was put under the category of toys and games. 
But just in terms of the category of toys and games, what was the intention? Was it intended for kids to play with? Did they push the mystery thing? Did they actually say, you're going to be able to talk to ghosts? They were often vague and noncommittal on that and would often let others do that talking. And so they would certainly market it as mysterious, but they were largely noncommittal. Just check out the mystery and they would kind of let others fill in the blanks on that belief. A bit like ghosts. Ghosts are vague and noncommittal in my experience. Okay, so we've got some names. We've got a design. We've got a patent and a name for the board. Let's talk about spiritualism, because it seems to come from this idea of spiritualism in America, which I guess end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century was a big deal. What was it? What was the spiritualist movement and why was it a big deal then? I usually don't belabor the point because it's one of these things where we could do an entire episode on the Fox Sisters. So for listeners who are unfamiliar with the early history of spiritualism, the Fox Sisters tend to gobble up all that attention. The birth of what we call modern American spiritualism was in March 1848, so March 31st, 1848. Wow, that's specific. Because that is the night that's largely recognized by spiritualists as being the moment where the veil between worlds was breached in a way that they felt had never been done before. Fact is, there were a lot of historical predecessors and precursors to that. You had the mesmerist movement in the late 18th century and early 19th century, which was the idea that there was this pervasive animal magnetism, this magnetic fluid that pervaded all living and non-living matter and could be manipulated first to heal, but also in later decades to induce trances in an early form of hypnotism. You have guys like Swedenborg and Andrew Jackson Davis that would say, I went into a trance. I was able to communicate with spirits in the afterlife. Here's what they said. That's pretty well established by the time the Fox sisters come along. So what happened on that day? The breach happened. They are experiencing what we would recognize as a modern haunted house phenomenon, a poltergeist-like phenomenon. They are in their Hydesville, New York cottage. They begin to experience these mysterious knocks and bumps. So the Fox family is experiencing these strange noises, and they begin to investigate. And finally, the youngest sibling, they're both teenagers at the time, the youngest sibling stands up. There's this whole Mr. Splitfoot myth that she would say, Mr. Splitfoot, do as I do. In fact, she just stands up and challenges the spirits by snapping her fingers a number of times. And the spirits respond with an equal number of raps on the floors, on the ceilings, on the doors, on different surfaces. And they then establish communication with these strange noises. Although their system differed slightly, you could ask it knock once for yes or twice for no. You could do what we call alphabet calling, which is going to be hugely influential to everything that comes beyond, where you call out the alphabet one letter at a time until, you know, A, B, C, D... D? Exactly. That way, these rapping spirits will contribute to what we would call rapping mediumship. In the presence of these young women, these noises will sound out. They are the mediums between worlds because they are in between worlds. And that will spark an entire movement. You know, they will move to Rochester. It begins to snowball in publicity. And then eventually, a couple of years later, the New York media machine, particularly the New York Tribune under Horace Greeley, will get a hold of the story. And it becomes a massive phenomenon of mediums begin springing up overnight. I've got two questions. Question one, what was it in the zeitgeist that people sort of bought into this thing? Like what was going on at the time? And also... I'm curious because just when you started knocking, I'm thinking that's around about the birth of the telegraph and of Morse code and communicating over space and time 
with technology. And I wonder if those two phenomena in a way mirror each other or the kind of spiritualist movement of being able to communicate is sparked from that idea of, well, suddenly we can communicate at the distance at least. Absolutely. If we just move those telegraph wires a little higher toward the heavens, we can establish communication. It's really born out of America's Second Great Awakening, which is a religious movement where we see a lot of rebirth. The Mormons are born out of this period. The very area in which the Fox sisters live upstate New York was what we call the burned over district because it had been the subject to so many religious revivals over the decades that it was considered burned over. There was no more fuel or converts left to convert. The Mormons come out of this area. You have the Millerites, which are an apocalyptic set. You've got the Seventh-day Adventist. You have people seeking new answers to old questions in new ways. And they just came about in this time of great religious questioning. Swedenborg, for instance, his ideas published in Heaven and Hell begin to be translated in English, and it sort of provides a new blueprint for what afterlife looks like, a lot of which we've inherited in our modern conceptions of Heaven and Hell, as we have from Dante. And so a lot of people are assimilating these new published ideas and philosophies into older established religions. Just very, very briefly, because we don't want to spend too much time on it, but who was Swedenborg? I always think of people like William Blake and other visionaries. He was a mystic seer who was going into these trances and publishing what he was seeing. And it merges in a very interesting way with, as you say, emerging technologies. So much of this is attributed to the common man's limited understanding of the science of the day. You know, if you just look in the newspapers, particularly the spiritualist newspapers, so many of these advertisements for these devices are running alongside magnetic healing, mesmeric healing, galvanic apparatus, weird crank quack apparatus, medallions that are basically primitive batteries. You have these magnetic belts that are basically alternating strips of copper and nickel. And if they merge with your sweat, they did theoretically create a primitive voltaic pile, which was early battery technology. But it was the common person's limited understanding of how that science worked that allowed inventors to come in and introduce these often false or misinterpreted ideas. And you see that proliferated throughout spiritualism. You have people creating these crazy electric tables to try to charge the atmosphere to allow for spirit manifestations, not to mention, as you say, the telegraph and the idea that we can just push those poles a little higher toward the heavens. Yeah, and the birth of photography as well. I know in the early Victorian photography, spirit photography, the idea that you could photograph ghosts and photograph things like ectoplasm. I wonder as well, just thinking about the zeitgeist and the beginnings of the 20th century and the reason it became so popular and such a big fad, the idea of being able to not just communicate with spirits, but actually be able to communicate with your loved ones. And I wonder, particularly things like the First World War happening in the beginning of the century, and I wonder if things like that would have influenced the idea of loss and death being very, very prevalent and this being a way of dealing with that. Absolutely see that. We can see that trend first with automatic writing planchettes, which we haven't really talked about much, these predecessor devices. Their surge in popularity is in 1868, three years after the end of the American Civil War. Just tell us very briefly what you mean by automatic writing. Okay, let's actually jump back a little further. We're about five years into the spiritualist movement. You've been experiencing this rapping style of mediumship. You also have people that continue to go in trances and speak with the voice of the dead. And also automatic writing. That's the idea of you go into a trance and your hand will begin to move mysteriously, not 
unlike it will with the planchet of a Ouija board, and produce spiritualist writing through the spirits. And in the early 1850s, 1852, furniture starts to move in the seance room. It's first, it starts off with just chairs and tables sliding across the floor. Oh my God, the ghosts that were formerly only capable of these, these rapping noises have now gained in strength and they're pushing things, they're pushing vases like a cat, you know, a, a mug off the kitchen table. They're sliding chairs across the floor. People begin to discover that the tables themselves are moving mysteriously under their fingertips in a way that modern users would recognize is the the mysterious movements we get with a a Ouija board planchette. And this creates a sort of do-it-yourself mediumship where you no longer have to rely on the trance or raps of a medium, but anybody can go to their home and maybe with a sibling or, you know, a family member, sit at the table, sit at a piano stool, place your hands lightly upon it, and first... It's, hey, the table moves mysteriously. And then later it's, can we ask it questions? If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. I'm Tristan Hughes, host of The Ancients from History Hit, where twice a week, every week, we delve into our ancient past. I'm joined by leading experts, academics, and authors who share incredible stories from our distant history and shine a light on some of antiquity's great questions. Was the Oracle of Delphi really able to see into the future? The Oracle certainly operated, certainly gave many thousands these prophecies, and they were taken seriously in most cases. What can be discovered from lost civilizations? There was a lot of volcanic activity, and in one of these sites called Quiquilco actually got covered with volcanic flows, and the early archaeologists, they used dynamite, you know, to get at this archaeology. And was King Arthur actually real? Ambrosius is far less well known. It looks as if he has got a significant impact on the creation of the Arthur story itself. You can expect all of this and more from the ancients on History Hit wherever you get your podcasts. muck about with Ouija boards when I was a kid and yet we used to absolutely freak ourselves out with them because of course we used to use a glass it would always spell something terrible it would always go to like D E 
A, and you know it's going to say death, and so it automatically kind of finishes the word off for you. And then, of course, we all think we're possessed. And there's been all kinds of studies with Ouija boards or talking boards, haven't there? Using eye tracking movement and all this kind of stuff. Just while we're on the subject of all these different ideas, Ohio, for some reason, was big in the spiritualist movement. Yes, absolutely. Is this too deep a rabbit hole? No, it's not, because it really brings us back forward. Ohio, it is such a hotbed of spiritualism. Everyone really credits the burned over district in upstate New York as the birth of spiritualism. But for me, Ohio is the nursemaid of spiritualism because so much happens all at once in 1853. One of those is the Coons spirit room. So this is the Coons family. The patriarch was Jonathan Coons. His main medium was his son, Nim Coons. They conceive of the idea the spirits through automatic writing demonstrate to them this strange machine, what they call the spiritual machine, that was essentially a tabletop battery, the strange framework of alternating copper and nickel plates and glass knobs and wires that was meant to charge the atmosphere of an enclosed space. They built a special log cabin for it. And within that room, the spirits would physically manifest as glowing hands that would write out messages from the dead. And they also invent the spirit trumpet, a typically segmented conical device that was used to transmit the whispered voices of the dead. I want one. You can see there's one right above me oozing ectoplasm. (laughs) Oh my God, you have one. That's right. Yes. Holy crap. Okay. There's something particularly creepy about spirit trumpets, but I've been looking on eBay. Where do I get a spirit trumpet? I just want one. They're rare. A lot of people... People don't know what they are when they list them. And I have bought them as oil funnels is one thing. The first one I ever got was sold as a $10 extendable oil funnel. So for listeners unable to see what I'm pointing out here, essentially it's a two to three foot long typically broken down into three segments so it can telescope or collapse. And it's just a cone. It just has a half inch little diameter, a metal cone that telescopes and it's got about a four inch diameter bell. Typically they come with a luminous band around the front so you could see it in the darkened seance chamber. And this would be used by mediums. Our modern conception of the dark seance is born there in the wilds of Ohio, 72 miles away from the nearest railway station in the Coon Spirit room who turn out the lights and say the spirits can manifest physically as long as they're not exposed to the light. How convenient, right? How convenient, yes. Hmm. And that leads almost directly into spirit photography a decade later. The conception of if the spirits can part the veil between worlds and walk between them, can we photograph them? And that will lead to spirit photography. The idea of the trumpet, though, would be that voices would come out. That's right. And did a voice ever come out, ever, once? Lots. I mean, thousands of accounts of these trumpets floating independently in the dark and issuing the whispered voices of dead. Interesting. You say thousands of accounts. Do you know about Kef the Talking Mongoose? I do, yes. This was a very famous, I've got it up on Wikipedia because it's my favourite ghost thing. Kef, also referred to as the Talking Mongoose, was allegedly a talking mongoose which claimed to inhabit a farmhouse on the Isle of Man. And they thought the mongoose, because they would speak to this mongoose, you couldn't see the mongoose, apparently it was down the wall, but it probably wasn't a mongoose. Well, there's also another famous English case, the Cock Lane Ghost in 1762 quite a few decades before the Fox sisters, is a nearly identical circumstance, a rapping spirit that they are communicating with by asking it yes and no questions. And it gets exposed as a fraud, but it really sets a template 
But what's different is when the Fox sisters do it, there's a new media machine. You've got the Associated Press established in 1845, just three years previously. This story doesn't remain localized. It spreads outward. So actually, the popularity of all of this, you've got a couple of things going on. You've got the birth of all these new technologies, which is about communication. So that's one thing. But you've also got the birth of mass media in terms of things like radio and newspapers and comics and everything else. You get a story massive worldwide phenomenon because the news of it spreads in the newspaper. We can exactly track when a German immigrant in New York wrote his sister in Bremen, Germany, and told her, I went to this crazy seance. Here's what we did. We all placed our fingers lightly on the table. It began to move mysteriously. We could ask it questions. And from that era... You have the invention of the spirit trumpet. You have the invention of all these alphabetic devices that are attempting to harness those mysterious movements of the table. You have Adolphus Wagner invents what he calls his psychograph, which is actually the first patented talking board-like device. It was this crazy movable framework where you would place your hands on these alternating slats or these limbs, and they would point to an alphabet like we do with the Ouija board. It just had a slightly different indicating device. We have these tabletop alphabetic devices in America, Isaac Pease's spiritual telegraph dial. It's a dial with a counterweight and a pulley. You put it on top of your table, your table moves mysteriously under your hands, and the dial turns around and indicates letters. Like a Ouija board, you have Daniel Orna competing with Wagner with his Emanuelector device. And in France, they literally are harnessing the movements of those tables by putting pencils on the table leg and seeing if they can write, which then will be condensed and reduced to a writing basket with a pencil through it. And then finally, writing boards, little boards, planchettes, which are manufactured and marketed as early as 1854 as spirit communication apparatus. And that's the automatic writing planchette. An eight-inch heart-shaped wooden board with two little wheeled casters on the back and the front point is a pencil. And just like modern users are familiar with the Ouija, you place your fingers lightly on the planchette and it writes out devices rather than spelling them out. And those become a viral craze, if you will, following the American Civil War in 1868. It spreads exactly as you say. It starts with one article, it gets reprinted in other media, then it gets reshuffled and recombined, and it creates a massive commercial phase. Planchettes are the must-have Christmas gift item in 1868. But, you know, for me as a researcher, particularly when I make appearances like this, there's often just this total blank space in what came before the Ouija. It's often treated as this singular moment of development, as if it was this original idea that just sprang forth from the heavens. And there's an entire four decade history that when you look at it in context, it's not only not particularly exceptional, if you will. There are other patents that are very Ouija-like and a host of alphabetic spelling devices that precede it. But in many ways, it's a patent that never should have been. I love collecting stuff. I love collecting weird things. And just looking behind you, what's the coolest thing of this subject that you have, like talking board or trumpet or what is it? Well, I often get asked, what would you save in a fire? And I'm like, well, I have two hands, right? So I think my right hand would hold 
well, as many planchettes as it could hold, but in particular, the glass, the number four, what we call the number four plate glass Kirby and Company planchette. It dates from the height of the planchette craze in America in 1868, and it is, in fact, a eight-inch long plate glass heart that has the brass hardware and ivory wheels, immaculate craftsmanship on this item. It's an automatic writing planchette, brass fittings, ivory wheels, and, you know, a little brass pencil aperture. And is just, to me, the ultimate automatic writing device. And in my left hand, I would have to very carefully grab the fragile but intact Dr. Hare Spiritoscope, which is an item that predates any spirit communication apparatus in any collection in the world by about 15 years. It dates from the height of the table tipping phenomenon. It was created in 1855 by a prominent American chemist, Dr. Robert Hare, who retired from his chair at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia and decided to put his scientific reputation and acumen toward the debunking of table tipping phenomenon. So we already had Faraday in the UK explaining what this all was. Dr. Hare created a series of alphabetic test devices. They started off as tables with these alphabet dials attached to them, but then he miniaturized them into the particular one I have, has a iron faceplate with some phrases in the alphabet around it, sort of like a clock, a clock dial, and then a wheeled wooden base. So it would roll back and forth, powered by a little pulley, and the dial would turn. It was a test device. The medium would only see the back of the device, and the scientists would observe the face. And yet, despite this precaution of the medium not being able to see, presumably, what they were spelling out, many of the world's most famous mediums were put to the test, including Kate Fox, Maria Hayden, were put to the test with this device, so much so that their testimony through it and the communications received through it convinced America's most famous scientist at the time that he was receiving communications from angels and the spirits, and he about-faced and went public with his findings, saying that this device proves that the afterlife is for real and that I can speak to the dead. You can imagine that was cataclysmic in the scientific world at the time, created a massive, massive media surge on this. And I have in my collection that device, which readers can look up by Googling Spiritoscope. Spiritoscope. I'm going to look up that. Now I want a Spiritoscope. How do I get one? <laughs> it's a singularly unique device that was discovered at a Pennsylvania flea market and purchased for a quarter by someone else. Oh, don't tell me that. And I was able to acquire it from them. It's like a Smithsonian Institute level artifact, really a piece of American history. Is the one objet that eludes you that you'd be like, oh God, I want that. Yes. So we talked a lot about the 1853 predecessors, either a Wagner psychograph. It's like a Ouija board, but it's got crazy crisscrossed arms, sort of like a drawing pantograph or just one of the original generation. Hare's device was inspired by this American inventor and clockmaker named Isaac Pease, who again created this little tabletop box with a dial on it that as the table tip back and forth. This first generation of alphabetic spelling devices, none of them to our knowledge have survived beyond Dr. Hare's Spiritoscope. Brandon, what are you writing at the moment? Where can they go to read more? So I am working on the comprehensive history of spirit communication apparatus from their prehistory to the modern era. And it's manifesting as a 500 page coffee table book 
awesome. Pictures. We need pictures. Yeah, we're talking about 1,500 illustration files currently going into this thing. So it'll be a leg breaker. And my media outlets are predominantly my website, mysteriousplanchette.com, as well as at mysteriousplanchette on Instagram, my preferred platform. You can find me there and at Occult Archaeology on TikTok for anyone so inclined. What's that? What could it be? Ask The it. spirits are telling <laughs> us it's time up. Brandon, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for this whirlwind tour of spirit communication. My pleasure. We'll do it again sometime. Thank you, Brandon. So there we go. You now know everything there is to know about communicating with the dead and crossing over into the spirit realm. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you for your company. I hope you enjoyed that. I loved that. I thought it was really fun. Don't forget, if you're enjoying the series, then do tell all your friends and subscribe and do all those algorithmic things that the algorithms demand of you. We'd be very, very grateful. And thanks very much if you've got in touch with me already. Lots of you have been sending me DMs and instant messages and what have you, suggesting ideas. So thank you very much for those. If you've got an idea you'd like us to investigate or do an episode about, feel free to DM me or whatever. Or you can email us old school at patented at historyhit.com. Thanks very much for your company as ever. It's been a great pleasure and I look forward to your company next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch. Download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes, or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code Patented at the checkout, you get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.